suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. We're up to episode 267. We've got our teeth into the sixth year of the podcast. Rattling along, and as always, there's plenty to talk about. News and politics, sex and religion, the sort of stuff that you're not supposed to talk about at a dinner party, but... We're brave enough to canvas here on this podcast. If you're brave enough, uh, sit back and listen. Um, If you're watching live, let us know. um, Say hello in the chat room. That's good. It looks like maybe not everything's working. Oh, it looks like Facebook and YouTube are working. I'm worried it's not streaming to one source. But anyway, we'll see how we go. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me now, as always, having returned (laughs) from sabbatical, the prodigal son, the velvet glove, Scott. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. And yes, for those that are still counting, I am still on the doll. <laughs> Thank you to our job seeker program. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> and Paul, the 12th man. Greetings, Earthlings. Yeah. How are you guys? Not too bad, thanks, We're Paul. all good. So we've Excellent. got a range of topics. Um, look, we're going to stay off COVID for as long as we can, but we might get to it towards the end. So relax if you've got uh, <laughs> Len and Hartbottom in the chat room. <laughs> Landon says bludger. Uh, thank you, Landon. So, yes, um, we'll talk a little bit about COVID a little bit later, but uh, it'll be COVID-free zone for a little while, so so that'll be nice. Right. Um, first up, well, we're going to talk about Clive Palmer, then we're going to talk about QAnon, a little bit about Trump, um, maybe then a little bit about um, the commons and freedom and liberty and identity and wokeness and blah, blah, blah. That's the sort of rough agenda ahead of us. Right. Clive Palmer and WA. So I said to the boys, did you guys know much about what's going on with Clive Palmer? I've read a fair bit on it, but I'm not going to comment on it because he is famously litigious. Yes. So I yeah. don't want to get sued. Yeah. So, um, uh, yes, yeah, so actually, before we started recording, I said to the boys, look, um, defamation warning on this one. If Clive Palmer's involved, we have to be really careful about what we say because <laughs> that guy is litigious. So, um uh, so that is a concern, dear listener. If you ever start a podcast of your own, you've got to think about you could you could be sued for defamation. And even if you don't say something defamatory, you could find yourself at the end of a lawsuit just because somebody doesn't like what you've said and wants to shut you up. So the good news is I'm immune from defamation. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, you've put everything in your wife's name. That's so. right. I've, I've never owned anything because when I was in law school, an accountant came at sort of third or fourth year of law school for lawyers and... Um, he was teaching us trust accounting. We had to know the basics of some double entry trust accounting, etc. And he said at the time, by the way, don't own anything in your own name because as a lawyer, you could be sued in your own name. And um, mm. so I've never owned anything uh, except a little bit of superannuation, and that is separate under the bankruptcy laws. So there mm. you go. There's and, a tip. And, and for you're counting on Mrs. Activos. Fist never to leave you, right? And to never say anything defamatory on this podcast. So that's right. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's how that works. But we should get on to it. So Clive Palmer. Um, so what's going on over there? He's suing the Western Australian government. And this is an interesting one, I reckon, because um, 
basically, uh, going back to 2002, um, Palmer and the then Premier, Jeff Gallup, created, uh, they had an agreement and there was an act put into place that basically reflected that agreement. The Iron Ore Processing Mineralogy PDY-LTD Agreement Act. And it basically gave legal force to a state commercial agreement that they'd come to. And um, what this agreement said was that Palmer, it was really generous, um, Palmer could come up with proposals for mining projects, including transport, ports and shipping, and the minister in WA was obliged to either approve these proposals or give his approval subject to conditions which had to be reasonable. And, um, and critically, if the minister imposed conditions, then Palmer could have the minister's conditions um, reconsidered in a compulsory arbitration and the arbitrator's decision on their reasonable, reasonableness would be binding. So basically Palmer could just slap on the table, here's my proposal for mining and whatever I want to do on these lands, and the government had to say yes or no and, or with these conditions, and then he could trot off to a single arbiter and say, well, that's just unreasonable, those conditions. And the government's then at the mercy of the arbitrator, and that would become law. So, so dear listener, you can, in commercial agreements, have this arrangement where you say, if we have a dispute we will go to arbitration rather than through the court system. But a bit of Russian roulette, like you never know what an arbitrator is going to say. And what it seems in this case is that um, they approved a proposal, put down some conditions, Palmer went and had them reviewed, and um, and the guy who reviewed it ended up being a, uh, a high court judge, I think. So somebody senior, but in any event... It's, it's in secret. We don't know what the conditions were. We can't read them. Um, but it looks like um, uh, the arbitrator said, well, the conditions you put on this are unreasonable. And so Palmer's um, basically enforcing his right to do this sort of exploration and undertake this work. And, um, and he's saying, well, the government, um, I, I could have been operational and earning revenue by 2016, it's now 2020, and you owe me for all of the money that I missed out on in the previous four years. And by some back-of-the-envelope reckoning, people are coming up with a number of $30 billion, and that's why the Western Australian government is going, shit, like, um, Big that's a lot of budget. money. Yeah. Exactly. And so they've basically passed an act that says, you know that act we agreed to? way back when, which sort of confirmed this commercial arrangement. Well, pretend it never existed and it's completely <laughs> wiped off the books and it's completely exempt from freedom of information and all of our actions are completely exempt from Clive Palmer having any right to do anything against us in relation to this at all, like a really wide-ranging reversal of the Act to just basically wipe out Clive Palmer's rights in relation to those agreements. It's interesting, isn't it, that mm. they can pass a law to revoke a previous law yeah, and well, sort of make it disappear in effect. Yes. Well, as a sovereign sort of state, you can basically make whatever laws you like, <laughs> provided the constitution that you've agreed to says you can't. So if the Commonwealth was sort of 
taking away property from people, it has to pay fair value under the Constitution. But if a state does it, they don't have to. So a state can effectively, on areas that it has power, can basically make whatever laws it wants to at any time and change its mind at any time. So kind of it seems like the law is eventually WA should be okay, but um, but they've had to pass a really extraordinary act in order to overcome what was a bad deal. This is the problem. A guy like Clive Palmer strikes up a deal with a state government and says, oh, you know, I want to do exploration and do these works and cuts a deal like that. Like, it should never have been done in the first place like mm. that. It, what's reasonable? Passing, you know, the state, the holder of the commons, and we're going to talk about the commons later, but the owner of the commons was prepared to give up to some entity, an arbitrator, to decide what's reasonable. It's a fairly an, rare, rare thing to, to happen, though, isn't it? What an abdication of responsibility. In terms of passing a law to overcome an earlier... But yes, what's now happening now inconvenient to, law. Yes, what's happening now is quite extraordinary, yes, the way they're just thought. completely wiping it, but they know the sort of litigious character that mm. Clive Palmer is and they're basically saying, well, if we leave any skinny window open at all, he'll... Find a way through it. Yeah, yeah. so they're um, leaving no stone unturned in their efforts. So, But just really poor form by the state government. This sort of gets back to... Um, we're going to talk about the Commons later, but, you know, giving up mineral royalties, I reckon it's so, um, it's so short-sighted for a current generation. Mm. If they're going to take the money, the royalties, and just use it on current expen- expenditure then I think it's theft from future generations. Certainly short-term thinking. Like you shouldn't be able to take what belongs to everybody multiple generations and waste it on one generation. You shouldn't be allowed to Mm. because future generations are going to say, hey, you should have put that money into a fund and whatever uh, income was generated from it, by all means, use on recurrent spend expenditure, like Norway did with their oil oh, reserves. No. And that's exactly what, what, I was le- what I was leaning towards, mm. is that Norway did that with their North Sea oil royalties and that sort of stuff. It went into a sovereign wealth fund. Now every Norwegian is technically a millionaire because the government invested it very wisely. And they were getting ready for once oil was no longer worth anything. So, yeah, you know, and that's going to be a while off yet, but still in all... There should almost be a minister for future generations who, or somebody that says, hang on a minute, speaking on behalf of the future generations, what you're doing stinks. Um, Certainly I mean, someone we have a, with a, a lo- bit more long-term mm-hmm. vision. Like where we have a Human Rights Act and where we say to governments, oh, you can't do this because you're breaching a fundamental human right. Well, one of those human rights, if you're going to have that, should be uh, current generation stealing from a future generation mm-hmm. by... Uh, selling off what belongs to the commons. Does it sound a little bit like that woman who recently tried to sue the federal government for her future lost earnings, in you know, her future investment earnings that she mm. claimed would not be realised due to his uh, lack of action on climate change? Do you remember that one? It was just uh, yeah, a few weeks that? ago. It was some, some woman a few weeks ago um, claimed that the federal government's uh, climate policy was inadequate 
and that she was going to lose potential future earnings from her mm. investments due right. to federal government inaction. Yeah. And she, this... I believe, what I read was she was taking the federal government to court. Well, that's what one of the problems with the Trans-Pacific Partnership uh, is that these international companies who have, say, a mining right, and we say, oh, well, you can't do that. We've changed our mind. We're not going to allow fracking. They then put their hand up and say, well, now I want compensation because mm. I own that. Bob in the chat room says a few things, but at the end he says, Palmer's just doing business his way like he always does, I suspect. You're dead right. He is, but you've got to stop him. Like <laughs> that, That's the thing. You've got to regulate guys like Palmer because they will take whatever they can get if you do not regulate these people, they will take whatever they can get for themselves without paying fair value to the rest of us. Mm. So that's true. Right. Uh, so that's the Clive Palmer issue. That's going to be in the courts for quite a while. We'll see how that pans out. Um, um, what's the latest on his challenge to Western Australia's hard border? It was defeated. It was defeated. Yeah, that, so that was Palmer's challenge was defeated? Yeah, or the, the Western Australian government won that one right. on the basis that uh, the, the the judge, I, I guess, who, who would have been presiding over that, I'm not sure. I think it was just a single judge. Actually, I remember something about this. Yeah. I, I think the judge ruled that uh, it was um, l- the most effective way to protect the WA citizens from the virus being transmitted uh, from another part of Australia. And okay. so it was within their right to close the border. Because we right. previously talked again about the Constitution and the Constitution said there shall be freedom of movement between the states and on the face of it you would think, well, that means you can't put up a border. Yep. But the High Court said, well, it depends. If you've got a situation, then a reasonable condition yep. will be allowable and that's but what look, they must have decided. I, I still mm. think it's a debatable policy and um, I watched a little bit of the drum this afternoon, I know, going... <laughs> Going against, <laughs> going against my usual policy these days, but um, <laughs> you were really bored. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it was sort of between, you know, as I took my clothes off to take a shower. Okay, that right. sort of time. Don't want to put bad images into yeah. your mind, people. But uh, yeah. it was just ten minutes or so. I watched it, and uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a slow undresser. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they were talking about it, and there were some people. Uh, re- relating some very heart-wrenching stories about people who live, for example, along the, the Queensland-New South Wales border in the western part. Yes. You know, like in the yeah. Midwest. Yep. And for, for a lot of those people, Brisbane and other regional cities like Toowoomba mm. are, their, are their go-to, you know, met- metropolises. Mm. Well, not that... Toowoomba's a metropolis, but Brisbane yep. and the Gold Coast is. Mm. And that's where a lot of them go for – they send their kids. Mm. They go for medical and dental services to Brisbane or the Gold Coast, you know, from these borderline New South Wales regional areas. Mm. And some of them have got kids, for example. They might live uh, in, in that area inland. They send their kids to boarding school in Toowoomba, for example. Mm-hmm. So the kids can't go home or they can't – send their kids to school. Yeah. Um, there are other people who have uh, like elderly family members on the, on the wrong side of the border who are dying or who have died and they can't visit them, they can't attend funerals. Mm. There's all kinds of issues. And these are in areas where the virus has barely touched them, mm. you know, and yet 
they are subject to the same rigid, no-cross-the-border rules. And it does seem very, very poorly thought out, I have to say. And, I mean, in reality, in, in contemporary Australia, those borders are virtually non-existent for well, most, they are. most yeah, of the time, aren't they? I, you know, I'll get on my high horse here. I think Victoria should be excised from the rest of the country. It should be locked off until they get their numbers down really low. Mm. However, I'm not 100% convinced on on keeping the hard border between Queensland and New South Wales. I am not at all convinced about keeping a hard border between the Northern Territory, South Australia and Western Australia. That's nonsense. Tasmania too. You know, I can fully appreciate why you've got to keep Victoria locked away and you've got to keep them out, you've got to keep them from mixing with us. But I'm not convinced of the other borders being closed, you know. Um, And I know it's extremely popular and I'm probably going to get some people's hackles up, but I honestly don't believe that we should necessarily keep our border closed with New South Wales because New South Wales has got their daily count down to below 10 now, don't they? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But even Victoria, it's mainly uh, in Melbourne, isn't it? I know, it? it's mainly in Melbourne, but, you know, you've got to... Well, then you would have people on the edge of Melbourne who say, I can't get my kid into school who's on the other side of that border. Like, wherever you set up a border... That's uh, true. ..and you probably have even more border issues. Um, but at least they would have greater justification. They would say, we have detected so many cases of COVID-19 in this area, therefore you are subject to the restrictions. Mm. But for people living way out in the sticks who haven't seen a case of COVID, Mm. it seems grossly unjust to Mm. restrict their movement across the border because it's it's an imaginary border. Mm. I mean, it's like one of the jobs I've applied for is in Byron Bay. And I said to them, I said, well, I'm not going to go down there for an interview because I have to, if I come back here, I've got to be locked away (laughs) for a fortnight. (laughs) And they said, oh, okay, so we better do something by Zoom. I said, yes. So, you know, I said, the first time I'll actually meet you in person will be assuming that I'm the successful candidate. And we all laughed and that sort of stuff. So right. it might not be till next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, there is a, a border sort of zone near Tweetheads, Coolangatta. Uh, so I was only down there two weeks ago. You? And you can walk across that border absolutely no problem. There's nobody checking. It's just they're just checking cars. Yeah. So there's sort of about a one to two kilometres into New South Wales. You can go back and forward with a particular oh, okay. permit. Yeah. So they just really need to extend that permit to some people in the western areas, where maybe in a western area, a fifty kilometre away town is really as if it's right on the border. A little bit of um, adjustment should happen there, I think. A little but bit of I'm, reasonableness. I'm happy to keep out most of New South Wales, um, until they really get it under control, personally. Really? Yeah. Yep. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and what about that poll? About you, you, you sent us a link to this poll, mm-hmm. uh, uh, surveying Australians on, on what they thought about, you know, keeping people out of Australia and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That I, was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah. I actually didn't um, keep a copy of that one with me here, but... Um, from memory, people are pretty much in favour yeah. of lockdowns and border controls at And keeping moment. people out of Australia, even mm. Australians trying to return to Australia. Something like two-thirds, I think it was, of the people surveyed mm. said they were, they were happy to keep out Australians trying to get home. Right. 
Well, and not even let them quarantine. Well, I don't know, but they said, you know, they're asked, you know, yeah. are you happy of, about keeping foreigners and returning Australians out of the country? And something like two-thirds said, yeah, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> Which big... is pretty shocking really, isn't it? Well, you could have – well, the hard part now is actually leaving the country. So, I know. So I've got an article here where it uh, says the federal government is forwarding the names of all Australians who have applied for permission to leave the country during the coronavirus pandemic uh, to border force. Um, and shocked Australians have been told um, about, have told the Australian about alarming letters they have received from the Department of Home Affairs after applying for an exemption to travel abroad to visit sick relatives or to take up scholarships or blah, blah. So... Um, so basically, we've got pretty much an outbound travel ban yeah, preventing we're, we're, citizens from leaving. We're effectively prisoners without exemption from a bureaucrat. Um, so this guy said he was uh, rejected, wasn't allowed to leave. No reason was given. There's no way to object. It's all done in secret. What kind of country is this? Uh, I feel I'm in jail with no parole mentioned for no crime ever committed. Um, and that's extended until October 24th. Mm. And he said he would pay for two tracking bracelets, one for my ankle and one for my hand, if that's what they want. I read the same back. one. Yeah, that yeah. was the guy who wanted to visit his mother-in-law in the Ukraine. Something like that. Yeah. And he offered, he mm. said, whatever, whatever you require us to mm. do, him and his wife, they're, they're like in their early 70s, I think, from memory, uh, retired, you know, they, they they have enough money to travel to Europe and spend a few months travelling around Europe, which was their plan. Mm. And he said, when we return, we are more than happy to pay for whatever it takes, you mm. know, hotel quarantine for two weeks, uh, you know, mm. ambulance to the hotel, whatever. He said, we'll pay whatever it takes, but we, we want to... S- and, and they should be allowed to. You'd I, have to you'd I'm ha- with you there. You'd so, have to guess that... What? the mother-in-law would be quite elderly. Yeah. And they might not get another chance to yeah. visit her. I'd be happy to say to people like that, you know what, leave five grand here uh, in this account to pay for your um, your quarantine when you came back and off you go. And I'd be happy with that. And I think sounds, most Australians would sounds be. sounds like that guy was quite willing to do something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, he was. And yet yeah. he was refused. And as yeah. you say, you know, they don't have to give a justification. They just yeah. say, no, you can't go. Yes. I mean, it's it's crazy. It, is, it does seem a little bit crazy. Like, you know, yeah. there was also that case in South Australia that the the bloke wanted to go over into Victoria to bury his mum. Mm. And he was told, well, you can't come back to South Australia. And he says, well, how long for? And he said, well, I don't know. So how long is a piece of string? Right. Yeah, what they were doing was they were sla- slamming the door shut on one of their own citizens and saying, mm. well, you can't come back. Mm. Now, that's ridiculous. You should have been able to come back through quarantine. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the whole point. I mean, mm. yeah, I agree with you, Trevor. I think if, you got, if you're coming back from Victoria, you should be able to go into a hotel quarantine for a fortnight or a month or whatever. And then after that, you can go listen to the community. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Interesting so times. Who could have imagined 12 months ago? That we'd be having this conversation. You, say, you know what? In 12 months' time, they're going to pass a law. You can't leave the country. You can't move into the state. Like these sorts of things, you just, it was, you, you it was give, impossible to imagine. You give a government official a little bit of power and the authoritarian emerges, yeah. just bursts out of them. That's true, but also... But you don't know, you it is a pandemic. It is a so, pandemic. And so it is a, an extraordinary situation. Exactly. And because yeah. it is extraordinary, you've got to have extraordinary times for extraordinary measures. Yeah. And I do believe that this is one of those times that is extraordinary and therefore you have to be, you have to be forgiving of uh, 
some more authoritarian responses from our government. Mm. However, I do agree that it's not wrong that um, Dan Andrews has got to go back to Parliament to ask to have his declaration of emergency extended. And that's ridiculous. Why? It's not an emergency, for goodness well, sake. This is an emergency. The sky is it not isn't, falling. Yes, it is. Paul, you've it got, literally is. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but Paul, this is an emergency. It is this an is an emergency. emergency. It is an emergency, but I do agree that he should have to go back to Parliament and justify himself every six months or every three months or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Which is quite reasonable to yeah. expect him to go and front Parliament and yeah. give a reason why he wants the declaration extended. Did he, did he object to that? Or he was no, he didn't, he didn't oh. object to it. Yeah. Um, mm. And he can yeah. keep extending it for yeah. up to six months at a time. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, it's a democracy. If you don't like it, Victoria, vote him out next time. Like, I, hope, I hope they do. It's up to the opposition to. Um, it's up to the opposition to say what they would do instead, and for the people yeah. of Victoria to say, "Oh, well, next time it comes up." But you know, you see some outrageous articles where they talk about dictator um, Dan, Dan and. Yeah. At the end of the day, he was elected and he will be coming up for yes. election and if you don't like what he did, vote him out. Oh, I agree. And, and the other sort of um, angle a bit like that is when they talk about chief health ministers and, um, and complaining about, say, the Queensland chief health minister that she's getting too uppity for her own good, you know, articles <laughs> along those lines. Basically, she basically, she makes a recommendation to the Premier and it's up to the Premier, like... So it's really have your argument with the Premier because as a Chief Medical Officer, she has um, the health of Queensland as her objective yep. and she doesn't have to worry about the economy or mm-hmm. other things. That's not her job. She just gives health advice and then it's up to the Premier to, to weigh up that health advice yep. with other stuff. So I think it's very unfair to say to, the, to somebody like uh, the Chief Medical Officer, you're too uppity and you're becoming totalitarian. She doesn't pass the laws. She doesn't make them. She just makes a recommendation. It's up to the politicians. So, okay, so, so we blame... So, so blame Palaszczuk. Palaszczuk. Blame yep. the politicians, but I, I yep. don't think you... And if the, if the Queensland opposition wasn't so pathetic, mm. I'd vote for them at the next election. But, no, you can't, Paul, because they're, they're, going to, they're going to back away from oh, voluntary assisted dying. I know, and, and that's precisely what I, I was discussing mm. this with a, a friend the other day, and I said... As bad as the Queensland Labor government is, the opposition is worse. And, and voluntary assisted dying is the issue that's at top of, top of my well, mind. Well, a lot of people will be very happy with what Palaszczuk's done. So Absolutely. Yeah. You know, a lot Myself of people, included. A lot of people are very happy that she's slammed the border shut and yep. that sort of thing. Yep. Now, I could understand her saying if you come from Sydney, you can't come into Queensland because Sydney has a problem. Mm. However, Sydney is beginning to get it under control now, so uh, that's why I'm just not convinced of having this hard border between Queensland and New South Wales. Victoria, I'm 100% confident, should be shut up and we should mm. keep them out of the way. As Landon said before, he says, here, here, you know, um, he said uh, keep them away and their AFL. Mm. So, you know. <laughs> there's AFL up here too. Well, I know mm. there's AFL up here. And, you in know, fact, most of the footballers most of the are, That's right. are in Queensland at the moment, aren't they? Because exactly. we're considered mm. a little bit safer. Do you know, a friend's across the road sold their house and got a really good price for it. Like, house prices are going I up. I know. And um, they said to the agent, right, we need a rental now till we find our next place. And the rental went, uh, the real estate said, well, we've got one place you could kind of rent that might suit you. And that's about it. Like, because a lot of people have. Are in town, yeah. if they've got a choice, um, 
they're hanging out in Brisbane, so mm. there's not much rental or property around. And rent is, mm. you know, it might not be exactly cheap, but it's still mm. going to be cheaper than Sydney or Melbourne. Mm. <laughs> right. Oh, we've got a message from Landon Hardbottom complaining yeah. about how hard it is um, to come do you, back. Do you, do you want to read that one? Yeah, to <laughs> come back in Australia. He says, I can't read. The original message was something like, it's very hard to come back into Australia. Flights are constantly cancelled. Caps on incoming passengers is a big cause of the problem. Landon, you've got to remember that you've got to cap the number of people coming back into the country. I think it's 4,000 a week or 4,000 a day or something like that because you've only got a limited number of hotel rooms that you can quarantine them in. But he says flights for myself, Cheryl. Self-cheryl, vengeance and retribution from Bangkok to Brisbane was (laughs) $18,000. But Landon... That's that's, a lot of money. But not for Landon (laughs) Hardbot. Really? No. He's rolling in it. Yeah. Okay. Let's, Let's hope. He hasn't paid tax in 10 years. That's just, <laughs> just chicken feed for Landon. Oh, okay. So, come on, Landon. It'll be worth it for Cheryl. So, <laughs> right. Now, next topic, um, QAnon. We need to get our heads around QAnon, I think. It's, it's just going to become more topical, I think. Have you so, ever so. read anything by them or looked for Yeah, yeah I, I've done a bunch of research right here oh, for really? you, Paul. Yeah, I, so I, I never have. You'll need some headphones on, Scott, because I'm about to play um, a little bit of uh, QAnon clip. So I'll just play this and then we'll talk about uh, QAnon. During the pandemic, uh, the QAnon movement has been, appears to be gaining a lot of followers. Can you talk about what you think about that and what you have to say to people who are following this movement right now? Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, <laughs> uh, which I appreciate, but I don't know much about the movement. At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I haven't, I haven't heard that, but... Uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. And we are, actually. We're saving the world from a radical left philosophy that will destroy this country. And when this country is gone, the rest of the world would follow. Mm-hmm. That was a good line from him. Is that supposed to be a bad thing? If he's saving the world from Satanists and and children eaters. So anyway, well, I just don't understand why the journalist didn't ask him. Is there a secret cabal of child molesting Satanists? Exactly. It was a pathetic question. By the it journalist. was. Yeah. 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 Mm. Hold out in a pizza shop or something. Yeah. yeah so and that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so QAnon uh, is a worldwide is a worldwide cabal of well, according to QAnon, the the essence of the theory is there is a worldwide cabal of Satan worshipping paedophiles who rule the world essentially, and they control everything. They control politicians, and they control the media. They control Hollywood, and they cover up their existence. And they would have continued ruling the world were it not for the election of President Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, in this conspiracy theory, knows all about this evil cabal's wrongdoing, but one of the reasons that Donald Trump was elected was to put an end to them, basically. <laughs> and now we would be ignorant of this behind-the-scenes battle of uh, Trump and the US military um, were it not for Q. And Q is basically a guy who posted on 4chan and who later moved to 8chan. 
And long-time listeners will remember we did a thing on 4chan and 8chan probably three years ago mm. with my friend Joe who came on. One mm. of these uh, crazy boards where you post anonymous, anonymously and gets very mm. dark and crazy and full of wacky stuff. And the guy who did the killing in New Zealand mm. was big into 8chan. So, right. So Q um, posts stuff in there and he reveals details about the secret behind-the-scenes battle and secrets about what the cabal is doing and also um, a mass sort of upcoming arrest events throughout these posts. So initially he was a bit more specific about what was happening and none of them came true, so he's got a bit more vague over time. And followers of QAnon believe there is an eminent event known as the storm in which thousands of people members of the cabal, will be arrested, possibly sent to Guantanamo Bay prison or to face military tribunals, and the US military will brutally take over the country. The result of the storm will be salvation and utopia on Earth. What does that sound like to you? It sounds very much like the apocalypse, which then yeah. precedes the rapture and yeah. that sort of nonsense. It's got a very religious sort, yeah, of, apoc- yeah, sort of theme happening there. Did you know that the rapture has been predicted by one group for this coming September? Is that right? right? Yeah. Right. It's probably an American group. Yeah. So, um, Are you ready for it? Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Always ready. Um, See people disappear, there'll be no big deal. What, there's leaves behind a pile of clothes, doesn't it? I'm not sure. I've never seen it happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I've seen lots of cartoons with that theme with other people who are left behind jumping with joy saying, yay, they've gone. <laughs> yes. So, you know, ordinarily you'd think, why are we wasting our time on this? But there's a lot, a lot of people who actually follow this nonsense and it's quite influential on way too many people, Absolutely. unfortunately. You've even got a, um, a person that's just won the Republican primary in the state of Georgia for yeah. a Congress seat yeah. who actually thanked QAnon and that sort of shit in really? her acceptance yeah. speech. Really? And, yeah, because she's a Republican in Georgia, she's going to get elected, which means we have now sent the first democratically elected QAnon representative into the Congress of the United Mm. States. So there's different code words that you can use. I mean, they're they're obviously big into the sort of pedophilia-type allegations. They're they're into this storm business that there's going to be and an awakening. And there's sort of these key words. There's even a sort of a, a mantra that they use. And so people sort of identify themselves um, with a dog whistle of sort of Q-like um, uh, words that other QAnon followers will pick up on and go, ah, one of us, he's onto it or she's onto it because they'll refer to the storm and the awakening and, and these sort of key words that the rest of us sort of over our head but for – the QAnon folk, they're always looking for these things. They're continually trolling through stuff and trying to find signs of, of what's happening and looking for cues, uh, clues from Q. So that, That's uh, got a very religious yeah, sort of flavour to it, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. So how does that relate to Australia, you may ask? <laughs> <laughs> In no way at all, let's hope. Uh, no, you're dead wrong, Okay, unfortunately. Um, remember our Prime Minister, Pentecostal Evangelical? Oh, that one. Yep. He's ripe for this sort of thing. So in Australia, a significant Australian proponent of QAnon conspiracy theory 
is a family friend of Scott Morrison and his mm-hmm. wife. Mm. So there was a guy who was, uh, had the Twitter handle Burned Spy 34 who amassed 21,000 Twitter followers and he was like um, tweeting daily on QAnon stuff um, in Australia. He was kind of like a bit of a leader of the QAnon movement in Australia. Is his identity known? Yes. So, um, so I'll get to that in a second, but basically this guy, Burn Spy, his wife is best mates with Scott Morrison's mm. wife and they were like bridesmaids at each other's funeral. And each other's funeral. Each other's at, um, wedding, wasn't it? Wedding, thank yeah. you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the funeral. They might be as well. <laughs> they um, might be. Uh, at each other's weddings and, in fact, uh, the wife of Burn Spy works somehow in um, in Morrison's office. I'll get to that, exactly what the role is. So there's an article from um, The Guardian that I've got, but then I've got an article from Crikey. So... Um, Remember the apology for um, – we had the um, inquiry into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And Scott Morrison, uh, two months after becoming Prime Minister, he gave a speech with an apology to the survivors. And what he said was, mm-hmm. quote, um, look at the galleries, look at the Great Hall, look outside this place and you'll see men and women from every walk of life, from every generation, every part of our land, crushed, abused, discarded and forgotten. Quote, the crimes of ritual sexual abuse happened in schools, churches, youth groups, scout troops, orphanages, blah, blah, blah. So he used the words ritual sexual abuse. That's an odd combination, isn't it? Indeed. I mean, sexual abuse, yes, we all know that happened, but ritual sexual abuse? Systemic maybe, institutional maybe, but ritual, ritual? is... So for the rest of us, that's gone over our heads. But not to a QAnon But in the QAnon, they've just gone, he's onto it. He's a QAnon. Because it's got this idea of pedophilia as a ritual, um, satanic uh, undertaking that's been going on. And finally, the forces of good, Trump and Morrison, are Mm -hmm. are onto it. And there's going to be the storm and the awakening. And... um, so, um, so anyway, this friend of Scott Morrison's uh, claims he has no influence and he never talks to Scott Morrison about QAnon stuff. But according to Crikey, they've got copies of correspondence between this guy and another guy, which uh, was done on some encrypted channel, but the other guy dobbed him in and basically handed it over to Crikey and said, look, and the allegation is that that this burn spy um, 34, whatever his name was, um, had actually been encouraging Scott Morrison to use the words ritual and got very excited and his son got very excited. Quote, great moment, tweeted the son, Jesse. You know, hashtag the Great Awakening is in full swing when the Australian Prime Minister mentions hashtag ritual abuse. Uh, A big step in a good direction for Australia. Scott is a patriot. Like, Mm, this is the sort of stuff that is going on. Um, It just sounds like the United States, doesn't it? It does. 
we just follow everything. Mm. Um, and yeah, different other QAnon people around the world looked at it. Uh, a prominent QAnon figure in the US was thrilled. Do my ears deceive me? Asked Joe M. <laughs> the new Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, must be a rider in the hashtag storm. Ooh. Yeah. There we are, dear listener. That's, that's where we are with QAnon and Australia. Um, we, we might get in increased migration from the United States uh, in the coming months. Who knows? But um, it's a cult. It's a cult, yeah. Um, what it's good going for it and why it will catch on like wildfire is it makes people feel connected to something important that other people don't yet know about. Mm. All cults provide this feeling of being special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no self-correction process within the group since the self-reinforcing true believers are immune to correction, fact-checking or counter-speech. Um, so it's got its cultish quality and followers attempt to solve riddles presented in Q-drops by connecting them to Trump's speeches and tweets and other sources. They're just continually scouring through transcripts and looking for hints of people admitting what's going on mm. yeah um obviously gets very addictive for this and the sad thing is that ordinary normal people get down some terrible rabbit holes with this and get totally caught up with it and people are losing family members like you lose a family member to scientology or oh. something like that and so now in Reddit, there's a QAnon casualties group. It's got 14,000 members who share stories about people they've watched turn into tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists and advice on how to get them out of it. So, um, yeah, we're just going to... It's, it's funny on a certain level, but it's also quite tragic oh, on another, sad. isn't it? It is. I've beyond finding these things funny, I just find mm. sad and dangerous and... Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think sad and dangerous is a better description than funny, but, you know, mm. I understand where Paul's coming from. So anyway, a bit of a crackdown, Paul. Facebook, well, I looked on Twitter <laughs> to try and see Burns by 34 and see what he had to say in preparation for this podcast. Yeah. No longer there. Gone. Taken off. It's so Facebook and Twitter have been doing lots to um, basically wipe out a lot of these accounts. Yep, but we know how consistent Facebook and Twitter are right. with yeah. their censorship, don't we? Yeah, so very very selective. Should they be attempting to take out? Um, because some of these groups, well, just because part of our thing has always been say whatever you like, provide you're not hurting anybody. That's right. Uh, QAnon is an elaborate, unfounded conspiracy theory alleging that Donald Trump is secretly saving the world. The group has been linked to several violent criminal incidents, including a train hijacking, kidnappings, a police chase and a murder, according to this article. So they they sort of get people um, hyped up to do some wacky things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a bloke that burst into that pizza shop with a rifle. Right. Mm. And he, went, he said, look, show me the downstairs room. And he says, there is no downstairs room. And he says, well, what's behind that broom cupboard? And he says, broom cupboard. And they opened it up. There was nothing in there. Right. This guy was genuinely shocked. He shot off there. a couple of rounds into the ceiling, the ceiling or something, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Right. But he later, when he realised that he'd made a terrible mistake, I believe he was a little bit uh, remorseful. I believe so, yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh. There we go. So that's queuing on. But it's not the only wacky conspiracy theory group around by any means, is it? There are 
More than a few of them. Well, it's Catholic Church, for one. There's that. (laughs) And in fact, I saw a a cartoon this afternoon. You may have seen it. It's that cartoon uh, which a priest comes to the door, right? Young boy answers the door. He turns around and says, Mom, there's a man at the door in a pedophile costume. Well, they're in the news in the last couple of days because uh, different uh, archbishops have said, well, don't like this vaccine that Scott yes. Morrison's organised because it's Use used stem fetal. Cells. fetal. Yes, used Was fetal. it stem cells or some yeah, sort of stem fetal cells? Stem cells through a fetus. Yeah. 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 It was a and, um, yeah. So better go find a different vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's an ethically tainted vaccine, yes. according to him. A load of garbage. Yes. I mean, like... Well, we're going to go down the COVID rabbit hole, I apologise. <laughs> but I really hope that the vaccine story wasn't just a beat up by the PM. I really hope that we are going to have a vaccine. It will be widely available by July of next year. Because if we do have a widely available vaccine by July of next year, then our economy will be out of the shit mm. probably by December of next year. Mm. Right, in the chat room, Dire Straits says Facebook and Twitter are private companies. They can ban whoever they like and should to, and should to maintain any semblance of credibility. Here, here, Dire Straits. you there, Dire Straits. Up to the point where you've got like a monopoly situation, then it gets a bit trickier. But for this sort of thing, I think you're right there. What do you um, want to do? You want to sell it to the government, do you? Uh, if you've got a monopoly a monopoly situation, then it gets tricky if you're banning people. It gets it moves beyond your private rights to to um Yeah, we've crossed swords yeah, before we, on this, but yeah. you know, I just I still believe that Dire Straits is right there. It is a pro- they're private companies; they can decide. I, I, I am on this particular issue on this particular moment, but because um, there's plenty of platforms for queuing on. But yeah, uh, anyway. Well, there are, and then the, yeah. the, the fewer people can see it, the better. Yeah, right. Um, still on Trump. Um, now I was watching. Um, <laughs> can I say one more thing on that yeah. topic? Because yes. something I read about um, Facebook banning people was that uh, somebody pointed out their inconsistency because the uh, religious leader of Iran, the Ayatollah Khamenei or whatever his name is, Mm -hmm. sorry I can't pronounce the proper Persian name, Mm -hmm. he issued some very inflammatory uh, rhetoric after Israel and UAE, is it, recently did a kind of a peace deal. Right. And the uh, Ayatollah issued some very, um, you know, inflammatory rhetoric regarding that, and he wasn't banned. Mm -hmm. And yet Donald Trump uh, was cautioned or, you know, told to mind, mind his manners. Religions get a free pass. They can say some horrible things. Well, they they said that because he was a national leader, Mm. he gets a free pass. Okay, all right. You get a bit more latitude. So basically he could could say something like, you know, Israel should be destroyed and, you know, Jews pushed into the ocean. Well, well, there there is a public... And they would allow it. Well, there is a a balancing act between the... um, One of the reasons to allow publication would be public interest. Mm. And if you've got the actual leader of a country saying something, that mm. certainly increases the public interest as opposed to Burns by 34 in his underpants in his mother's basement, who <laughs> hit, like, the public interest That's level. That's a stereotype. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure he 
I'm sure he wasn't in his underpants. Nah. So, you know, I can I can get that um, that a world leader mm. gets a gets a bit more latitude because the public interest level increases. Mm. Um, back to Trump. Um, I, dear listener, you should watch um, Planet America. Do you mm. watch that? I do watch it. It's pretty good. It is very good. And they've got a podcast called Pep. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, which is, uh, it's not official as part of their Planet America thing. You've got to... Uh, I'll try and have a link for it in the show notes because they're not allowed to call it the Planet America podcast, but it's called Pet, and they really get into some stuff about America that mm. they can't get into in their normal show. It's very good. Um, yeah, sometimes very interesting, and they yeah. they also get some quite uh, interesting interviews. Yeah, so definitely in the lead up to this November election, definitely um, tune into those. It's mm. very good. Um, I'm going to get onto one particular thing they said about, but on a different. Um, just a blog piece I was reading about Trump's chances in the upcoming election. And I've mentioned before that the polls cannot be trusted because people are not honest answering polls, particularly Trump supporters. They'll say they're voting for Biden and they're actually voting for Trump. And I think I told you last time, yeah, uh, ask, yeah. ask the neighbours yeah, how, how your neighbours are going to vote. And that guy said that doing a poll that way He's within striking distance. He's not that far off, Trump. And the other thing is, on this uh, blog post I saw, it basically said that if Trump holds on to the states that he's leading in now, and if he can win Florida, Wisconsin and Arizona, he'll get re-elected. He's only got to pick up three states from where he is now. Mm. Florida, Wisconsin and Arizona. And if you think of all the shit that's going on in America yes. in terms of COVID, in terms of... Um, the crazy um, sort of defunding of police and if you look at the postal service and whether people can actually vote and all of these things that have got to be worth several percentage points here and there, it's entirely conceivable that he could pull it off. He definitely could. And there was another incident yesterday in Wisconsin where yeah. a police shot a um, black American guy in the back. Mm. Did you see the video? It was on the news I only, today. I didn't see the shooting. I looked for the video, but I only saw him as oh, he was on the ground. Just quite shocking, really, because mm. he apparently was carrying a knife mm. and he, he walked around a car, presumably his own car, mm. and there was uh, several police nearby sort of pointing guns at him saying, put down the knife or something to he that effect. He was getting into his own car. Yeah. With his kids but he, there inside the car. he ignored the, the police. Mm. He walked around the car. He didn't make any action towards the police, no. opened the car door, and as he was climbing in, the poli- a couple of police came from behind him and tried to grab him, and he basically struggled and was trying to get into his car. They shot him in the back. Mm. I mean, he wasn't even facing them. You know, he was trying to get into his car. They came, and at point-blank range... They shot him in the back. He didn't die, apparently, but... Mm. And then there was rioting in the streets mm. of that town and mm. a whole, whole lot of small businesses, again, looted and burned, you know. Mm. It's not a good look for Biden when that happens, is it? Because Trump, you know, comes out as the sort of law and order president and that could swing Wisconsin Trump's way. Trump, Trump could paint a picture that he... That he could... Well, be saving the good citizens of Wisconsin from 
Well, hang on. For that particular Random incident, violence. Trump's supporters are not going to be put off by it. And they're... No, they're not going to be not put, be put off, off by, by it. You I don't think, think they'll be put off by the looting and uh, burning? That, that will switch... That will hold them on to Trump. That's my yeah, point. The, the yeah. looting will, yes, yeah, for sure. That's my point. Not yeah. the shooting. No, that's no, a the shooting itself. But the looting and burning that came indeed as a response. Yes, well, the and shooting, this defund the police stuff. Yeah, yeah, the shooting might encourage more black, uh, sorry, more African American citizens to vote, mm. which might offset the surge that Perhaps. Donald Trump could get. Yeah. Maybe. See, is Wisconsin a red state or is it blue? Uh, I don't know, but whatever it is in the polls, it's he's behind. Uh, so he has to, re, you know, win that. So, See, most of the podcasts I listen to are American and because, you know, this type of things I do listen to, they're basically all anti-Trump. Mm. And they were saying that, um, what kind of cognitive dissonance boys that I was listening to this morning, um, one of them, whose name escapes me, Cecil, he said what he's hoping for is that it's not just a beating, it is a... Route and that he is completely humiliated. I don't think they're getting the same information you're getting. You know. Yeah. I, and who knows? Like they could be completely right. You just don't know. You can't trust polls anymore. Exactly. So, um, you know, the, hmm. the the Economist has got some polling system that they reckon's accurate. Right. And they predicted Trump would win last time, but they wasn't published because. It was the only one that was predicting Trump would win. Oh, and they were too embarrassed to publish it. Exactly. Right. So now they've gone and they've refined it and that sort of stuff and they reckon Biden's got a 90% chance of victory. Mm. We'll have to wait. 90%. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's a big call. Interesting. Kamala Harris is – I thought she's actually more progressive and left-wing than I originally thought. So if if they get in and Biden – Collapses or she comes in, and, then you'll you know, end up with a left-wing president. She, yeah. she could be relatively progressive. She was quite hard on her prosecutions, but there were some mitigating circumstances well, and some other things that meant she wasn't actually that bad. She had quite a progressive voting record, so she's actually more lefty than I thought she was. Well, I think you can forgive her reputation as a prosecutor because she was there to prosecute the law as it was, as it was written. So. Yeah, yeah, I but, can understand but, that. But there are discretions. So there's one where I think there was like a third strike, you're out rule. Mm. And yeah, that was a shocker. And, and she it? was pretty tough on a poor guy in that one. That which, was a shocker. There were a whole bunch of sometimes people. Sometimes you can just use your discretion. And who, just say, who got virtual life prison sentences yeah, for yeah. three relatively minor, you know, criminal offences. Yeah. So, um, so I was listening to a podcast um, opening arguments and yeah, it's another good one. And maybe, or maybe it was serious inquiries only. But anyway, they were giving a bit of a rundown of it, and it made her seem a little bit more left wing and progressive than I thought she was. So we'll see what happens there. The chat room's going off really well, actually. Is, yeah. Good on you in the chat room. Um, there was one good one in there. Oh, back to Morrison's announcement yeah. about the vaccine, and Martin Featherstone says Morrison's announcement wasn't a beat up; it was a beat off. <laughs> There's lots of good comments in there. Good on you guys. Keep them coming. Can't get to all of them, but we'll, we'll try to. Um, Ross says she's not liked at all by the progressives. By the progressive yeah. Yeah, She's not progressive mean. enough for the progressives. I, I agree. And she's too progressive for conservatives. We'll see. Um, yes, yes, look, we'll the, see where she The one up. thing I would say about her is she was selected 
for two reasons. Mm. She's female and she's not white. Mm. That, that Which be, is exactly what... That, well, that would be two key reasons a bunch of bunch of, amongst a bunch of others. But they, you're dead right. They would have been key factors. And so it's tokenism, just, isn't it? So, and if you listen to some of the speeches... But why was Biden selected? Because he's white. I have no and idea. And because uh, he has an appearance of stability. So, <laughs> you know, you can say the same thing that way as well. Yeah. Have you ever wondered yeah. why Biden was selected by Obama? Because surely he would have had a, a range of, you know, more exciting Because it would have been candidates. a reassuring white gentleman for the people who are worried about ah, this... yes, of course. This radical, um, left, radical left black, um, guy. black guy who was going to come in. balancing act. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the whole point of vice presidents is... Yeah. You know, but, but often they're picked because they, uh, they will pick up a a segment of the population that you didn't think you were going to get, mm-hmm. like sometimes I'll pick a vice president who's uh, got strong support in the South, mm-hmm. maybe, where yep. the presidential candidate doesn't. Yep, they do so that. they didn't pick her to pick up votes that they didn't think they were already getting. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. okay, she's black and she's female, but you could say, well, fuck, they're going to get those votes anyway. Mm. Like... You, there's a, you could argue that. Yeah. But, look, I read so. something about the Democratic um, – they had a convention of sorts, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a apparent, Zoom. Yeah. Apparently the, the speeches didn't touch at all on policies. They were, they were all just, you know, fluffy rhetoric about – But nobody wants policy. Little girls looking up to her and stuff like that. I mean, for goodness sake, you know. But, Paul, nobody knows. <sighs> nobody cares about policy. But you they have, should. But they don't. So you've got to give them what they want. You have to sell oh. them a story. And, um, it's a bloody circus. So it? Mel in the chat room says, why well, is it not conceivable she was selected, selected on merit? merit. I well, agree with you, Mel. Well, I think she was selected. Be, look, I always think she was selected on merit. Too. Mel, merit would play a part. But if you had exactly the same merit ensconced in another 75-year-old white guy... No, they wouldn't have gone there. That's they wouldn't right. have picked him. That's so right. it's, it's all part of a package. It is. Merit is certainly part of it, but, um, but sort of diversity issues yep. absolutely play a part. And yeah. they have to play that game. They have to. For my money, I liked that other female... Uh, candidate that they were considering the the one who lost her legs in Iraq. In she was in the military. Um, I just forget her name now. But anyway, not Rice. Yes, no, maybe very well no, well not Rice. Was. Tammy was it Tammy? Someone? No, no. I don't know. Anyway, Come back to that one. Anyway, she was a, a, a you know in the military and she was a helicopter pilot or something. Got shot yeah. down and lost her legs. But right, so she you know, she gets around the wheelchair. But mm. um, she sounded like a you know just reading about her personal philosophy and policies, for my money, she sounded like a good candidate. And mm. she was not purely white either. We'll come up with her name then yeah. next time. Okay. Right. One other one. Uh, this is just weird. I don't know whether to say it or not. Well, I will. But it came from the Planet, the Planet, the Planet Extra podcast. That's mm. what you've got to look up for, PEP, Planet Extra podcast. I don't know that planet. Uh, so yeah, basically they were talking about this and – they were quoting, there was a report um, of the Select Committee on Intelligence, United States Senate, on Russian active measures, campaigns and interference in the 2016 US election, Volume 5, Counterintelligence Threats and Vulnerabilities. I've looked at it, dear listener. You can find this on the internet. And you would think that's a fairly dry and uninteresting document, perhaps. Mm. But in it, at page 288, they're talking about Trump's 
group meeting up with Russian groups. And following dinner, the group, which included the Agalarovs, their associates and the Trump organisation, went to the ACT. Goldstone described the ACT as a bit Cirque du Soleil and a bit burlesque thrown into one. And at this point, there's a footnote, number 1822. And footnote 1822 refers to Cohen's testimony. Cohen was Trump's lawyer, Mm -hmm. right? Cohen talks about this meeting and he's talking about the place called the, The Act. And he said, this is quote of Cohen in his testimony. It's a club that puts on shows and you never really know what the show is going to be. In this specific case, they brought out a young man who was in a leotard bodysuit who, to me, I would diagnose him as a thalidomide baby. And he was blind as well, but he sang like Pavarotti. And while he was singing, I forget the song, it was some, like, God Bless America type song, there was a woman who was in a thong bikini who was large performing sex acts on him while he was singing. Interesting, because I was with Mr Trump at the time. It was not really a place I expected to be with him at. He looked over to me when it was finished, and I'll never forget this. He looked at me right in the face, and he goes, that's a tough way to make a living. (laughs) (laughs) So do you find yourself agreeing with Trump for once? Trump showed empathy for once. Mm. He actually had some empathy empathy in him, and he could look at it and go, that's a tough way to make a living. (laughs) Wow. There you go. That's how you get to Trump. That's, That's how bad things have to be. Before Trump, um, so he has a little bit of humanity in him somewhere. He does. My God, some people. When, dear listener, when you think life's tough, there you go. There's, there's people worse than you. Yeah. Also, just in recent news, Steve Bannon, um, he got arrested, facing some potential jail time for fiddling with money. Um, Lots of people have made this comment, but it's a good line. If Trump really wanted Hillary locked up, he should have just hired her. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. Uh, right. Um, Bean talk. You mentioned this, Paul, about the Liberal Party in Victoria mm-hmm. and oh, the, the takeover s- by the religious nutters. Yes, it was featured on 60 Minutes on Sunday evening. Did you watch it? No, I didn't get a chance to. Oh, I, no. I, I did. Right. Um, they basically had secret tapes and stuff confirming yeah, things. Yeah, it was the – was it the, you know, some – uh, office bearer in the Victorian Liberal Party was um, getting staffers mm. to, you know, on on government, you know, paid time to solicit new members for the mm. Liberal Party and they were encouraged to focus on church groups mm-hmm. and other, you know, small, you know, community club type groups and things. But uh, mm. anyway, it sounded... Pretty nefarious. Mm. We have talked about this quite often. We have talked about yeah. it. Have a lot. It would have been no surprise at all to listeners of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast who have been None tuning whatsoever. in for uh, some of the last five years because this and it's happening in Western Australia and it's, it's happening, happening in Queensland, Queensland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be happening everywhere. Um, so Karina Ocatel was the former Federal Liberal Vice President and. Um, she told people, quote, we are not crazy hardline nuts, end quote. <laughs> she admitted she blew up her relationship with power broker Michael Kroger and his backers because she was furious that religious candidates were not being pre-selected by the faction. 
But we are not crazy hardline nuts. Apparently not. Yeah. Oh, dear. It's all over for the Liberal Party. Give, just give up on them. Um, I haven't thanked the patrons in a long, long time, so I better do that uh, before we move on any further. Um, dear listener, the deal is if you've listened to 20 or 25 episodes uh, and you reach the point where you're thinking, I love this podcast, I listen every week, can't wait, then at that point you need to hop onto Patreon and chip in and send us some money. A uh, dollar a show is all we ask and it's easy to do and it's not much and it just shows your support and helps cover some expenses because this doesn't all happen for free. So mm. right and how back. Could, how could they not love the podcast? Indeed, <laughs> particularly if they're listening to it. Yeah, Even if you hate it but you're listening regularly. Yes, um, you're getting some kind of value from it, so pay up. Indeed. So, thank you. From way back on the 5th of February 2016, the one and the only, the original and the best, Sean. Thank you, Sean. And Janelle and Craig and John and Landon, Wayno Ayame, Alison, Steve Shinners, Tony Wall, Jimmy Spud, Kane Birch, Bromwin, Matt J, Palais, Maddock Man, Dominic Damassi, Liam McMahon, Dave Ryland, Daniel Curtin, Harry Watson, Peter Gillespie, Captain Doomsday, Wheat Watcher, Andy Dowling, Murray Waper, Melinda, Adam Priest, Professor Dr Dentist, Will, Glenn Bell, Craig S, Matthew... Alexander Allen, Paul Waper, thanks, Paul, for your message. Tom Doolan, Tara, Camille, Kim Brown, Brun, Donnie Darko, Clinton Riggs, Gavin S. Look out, I think, spiked being coped. <laughs> uh, yet another Pinker fan, Graham Hannigan, Mark Clark, Sidon Six, David Capley, Lloyd Berg, the 12th Man fan, Andrew Jackson, David Cox, Shane Ingram, Craig Ball, Kobe, LB, P. Slizzle, Shailene, Stephen Twigger, Yvonne, Yvonne Penisi, David Hamby, Wayne, Branwen, James, Leanne, and people who do it, if you don't like Patreon, you just want to do it through um, PayPal. Uh, Dean, Ken, Was, The Beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Matt Man, Beverly, and Damien, Wayne, Jared, Obrad, Puskarika, Darren Giddens. A big thanks to Smiley Al, who recorded those intros that we use and beer sponsors over time have been Was, Wayno, Landon, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, Glenn, Steve, um, uh, Mel and Dire Straits and some of those have been multiple ones. So thank you to all of those people who have chipped in over time and sorry I don't mention you all that often but you <laughs> rest assured. It's appreciated. They live Thank in our very hearts. Much. Mm, they do. Right. Um, let's talk about personal freedom and submission to the collective will. Submission sounds like Islam. Yeah. So. <laughs> Scott, are you in a hurry to go anywhere? This no, could take I'm a not. while. Okay. You, you got any interviews tomorrow morning? Or no, I'm just going to get up early, go for a bike ride like I do every morning. Okay. All right. Because this could take a while, but it's, it's important, I think. So when we're talking about COVID stuff in particular um, and other things we're going to get onto a bit later, um, Paul, you would often emphasise the, impl- the importance of personal freedom. Mm-hmm. Whilst Scott and I will probably emphasise the desirability of society being able to restrict that freedom for the overall benefit of society. I knew it. I knew you guys were against me. (laughs) So that's like a common divide amongst us. And that's one where there's no rights or wrongs. Like this is where we just have to agree to disagree at a certain point and just find out where those differences are. So it's a balancing act where we recognise the importance of the other person's 
value and just mm. differ on where to draw the line. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so what I want to do in the next little bit is just make a case for – so I describe you as libertarian, which you don't like, I know, but I do it just mm. a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But it's, it's kind of – because this <laughs> emphasis on personal liberty yeah. – um, is, is what's called a sort of a libertarian feature, um, an emphasis on the individual rather than the collective. Mm-hmm. So in our little study of society course that we do here, we would look at the United States of America as being one that puts a higher value on that individual mm-hmm. freedom, mm-hmm. whereas when we look at Asian countries such as Japan, we would say they actually put a lesser value on that mm-hmm. and sort of your responsibility to the collective is considered more important. That's a sort of a cultural difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I mentioned in the podcast last week a couple of books that I found really good. One was, uh, hang on. One was The Goodness Paradox by Richard Wrangham. So this is the one that talks about how we became domesticated as a species and this is that whole idea of... This is about the beta males beating up and killing the alpha males. Correct. We developed language, beta males were able to whisper and rather than being subjected to the tyranny of selfish bullies, the the group could work together and actually subdue that sort of influence. Mm. And really then, once you had groups that were internally unselfish, like that sort of selfish behaviour had been subdued, then when you look at what makes... Then those groups could be quite successful in terms of their battle against other groups, whether that be warfare or whether it just be surviving a drought, like a cooperative group would potentially survive hard times better than an uncooperative group, not even necessarily fighting against each other, just their ability to cooperate. So... And the, and the book goes on to sort of describe there's other sort of physiological things that have happened to us that mean that we're kind of like a, a, a tame um, little uh, domesticated dog in comparison to the the wolf that you know was in the um, that we evolved from two hundred fifty thousand years ago sort of thing. So that's the sort of idea of the book and. Let me just get the right page here, 122. Um, So the thing about humans that makes us different from the other animals is that we have the ability to accumulate cultural adaptions. Um, we, We gather cultural knowledge and we pass it on to each other. So not only are we intelligent, but we're highly cooperative and we excel at learning from each other, so-called social learning. Mm. So one of the theories about why Neanderthals lost out to us in the, in the battle between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals was while they were quite intelligent, they didn't have the social learning and cooperation that we have. So other animals on this planet basically are born into the world and have some innate instincts to eat grass, run from predators and but they don't really learn from previous generations. We have the ability to um, mm. pass on that information. So that's a key concept from um, the goodness paradox. Uh, 
that we are that sort of domesticated version of what we were before and we rely on the ability of generations to pass on information and that makes us unique mm-hmm. compared to other animals. Yeah. And in this view of life, which is by uh, David Sloan Wilson, uh, that's the one about psychopathic chickens mm. and the psychopathic chicken that's a bully is actually eating all the food from the other ones. We've done that one. I mentioned it the other week. So the number of eggs laid by an individual hen is not an individual trait so much as it is a social trait because it depends on how members of the group behave towards each other. It's the same here in our society. The idea that anyone is self-made is a fiction. We are all operating in a group of hens and relying on that group of hens. We are not self-made at all. We're, Mm. We're relying so much on previous generations and what's been passed to us and we're also relying on the environment that we are all collectively creating for our success. Um, So in rare cases, mechanisms evolve that largely suppress the potential for disruptive forms of selection within groups, making between-group selection the primary evolutionary force for most traits of the species. So uh, we talk about selection within groups and selection between groups. So normally if you had a bully who was a tyrant, they'd be getting what they want, they'd be doing all the procreating, Uh, they'd be the successful passer of genes. If circumstances are such that that force is nullified through language whispering beta males, then what determines the, the, the ongoing progression of the species is how different groups um, win out against each other. And um, what it says is if you reach a point where within groups there's harmony and there's not this selfish behaviour, then um, something magical happens. The group evolves to be so cooperative that it is transformed into a higher-level organism in its own right, and in this case, thinking of insect colonies. So there's no competition within the colony as such, or very little, um, they've got roles to do and they're not really competing within the group. What you really have is maybe a swarm of bees might be competing with another swarm of bees for an area or or a, a suitable point or whatever, but there's no competition within the group. It's groups of bees that are essentially competing against each other to find suitable spots to... So, you, so the sort of the group becomes an organism in its own sense. I'll talk more about that. So um, multi-level selection theory tells us that analysis should be centred on the unit of selection. So imagine you're a biologist studying a solitary insect such as a fruit fly. You would study the individual flies in relation to their environment and then you would shift to lower levels such as organs, cells, etc. But if you were studying a social insect, such as a honeybee, since the colony is the primary unit of selection, that is the unit you would focus on. You wouldn't begin at the level of individual bees any more than the fruit fly scientists would begin at the level of organs. So if you're studying bees and working out what really makes bees tick and how will groups evolve and how will bees succeed, you look at the colony and the and the 
way the colony works rather than an individual bee which you would get to as a secondary matter down the track as, it, as how it works in the overall colony. So in a sense, the, and this is what he's sort of saying, is that a colony is almost an organism in its own right in that sense. Mm-hmm. So this is a powerful uh, refutation of, method, of methodological individualism, which states that individuals should always be the centre of analysis. So just put a pin in that, in that libertarians are very much centred on the freedom of the individual and the paramount rights of the individual at all times. But if you accept that we are a social creature reliant on the cultural passing down through the generations, um, we are potentially more akin to a, to a honeybee colony than we are a fruit fly. And when thinking about us, when Scott and I are emphasising, or at least I am, don't want to put words the in your mouth, Scott, the, the value of the collective, you have to recognise that, that we're not isolated fruit flies doing our own thing. We actually exist as a very cooperative species, almost forming an organism of our own. Now, raise your eyes. I think that's highly, highly (laughs) debatable. Mate, but you get the idea. I absolutely agree. And 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 I know I'm... That colony insects like honeybees and ants... Yes. Very much so. If you were studying them, you would study the colony, absolutely. But we are not... Fucking insects, uh, and I'm not saying we are, and, but and I'm introducing I agree this with concept. Most of, of what you say, true, I yeah, do agree. Yeah, that we we're not islands unto ourselves. We yes. live in a in a. We are social animals. Yes. Absolutely agree with that. Yes, but it's it's a matter of degree, isn't it? it indeed, and, and it's I'm, a matter of where you say the individual ends and the and the group begins. And it always will be. But I'm just putting that in there as an idea of how to think about human beings when you talk about individual. Issues, mm. uh, and I want to say, well, hang on a minute. Mm. At some point in the future in our discussions, I'll just say, remember, we're honeybees. <laughs> and, and that will be short for the kind of ideas that I just said in the previous 10 minutes. So, Paul, you would agree with Margaret Thatcher when she said that there is no such thing as society then? No, she, that was a stupid thing to say. Yeah. I mean, she had her moments, but that wasn't one of them. No, no, it, it wasn't right. one of them. That's yeah. why I was just bringing it up because I thought to myself, that sounds very much like Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yes, um, it does. So the other idea that... It's, it's quite another thing to say so, there's no such thing as society. I, I don't think there are many people out there that would agree with Margaret Thatcher. No, that there's I, no I don't thing. think there's many people out there that agree with her either. I don't agree with her on that point. But, either. you know, it's just... Anyway, I was just pulling it up, that's all. Mm. Okay. Actually, on that point, um, I've actually got... So I've got another book, which Peter, from last week, um, he gave me previously when we did the book reviews with Peter. So um, incidentally, I'm a quarter of the way through The Grapes of Wrath, so oh, enjoying that. That's quick. Yeah. So You got onto that very smartly, yeah, didn't you? Yeah. So um, I'm onto that. But he had previously given me a book called Plunder of the Commons, A Manifesto for Sharing Public Wealth by Guy Standing. So I really like the idea of the commons. And the yeah. commons is important when we're talking about these Constitutional issues and border closures and and masks and vaccines because the commons is involved in all this. Mm -hmm. So, um, so 
we're going to get to it, but basically the people who say, I don't want to wear a mask and I don't want to comply with these rules, mm. but at the same time say, I want to enjoy the commons. Mm. Um, we uh, are entitled to regulate the commons. And so a little history on the commons was, was where we're heading for right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, And so, yeah, actually in this book, um, incidentally, Paul uh, Scott he starts with a little bit about Margaret Thatcher because she mm. did say there is no such thing as society. There are mm. only individuals and families. And when she was first elected um, as Conservative Party leader at her first Shadow Cabinet meeting, she pulled from her bag Frederick Hayek's book, The Constitution of Liberty. Mm. She slammed it on the table and said, this is what we believe. <laughs> yeah. So Hayek was a guru for Thatcher and Reagan. He was an economist. And he set up the right-wing group of economists in 1947 known as the Mod Pelleron Society. Well, yeah, he pre- preceded them by decades. So, But he set it up, yeah. Is that yeah, so? He gathered them together for it. Friedrich so, Hayek? So, mm, he was... Yeah, Friedrich Hayek. Austrian. So he was the guy, Austrian. That, Austrian, yeah, so he's yes. the guy that wrote The Road to Serfdom. So, yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, and he also wrote The Constitution of Liberty, apparently. And his mentor was Ludwig von Mises who taught uh, that economic value was measured only by the price. And if it had no price, it had no value. So that was their view. And thus began a war against all organisations and mechanisms of society embodying social values that had no price. So in this book, the commons refers to all of our shared natural resources and it also includes the knowledge that we possess as society. So David Bollier, a commons activist argues it includes intangible wealth such as copyrights, patents, critical infrastructure such as the internet and government research mm. and cultural researches, resources such as broadcast airwaves and public space. So and Podcasts. This is private now. Is yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's the commons. I think the commons is a really essential thing that we need to think about. So, um, you know, Thatcher... And, and why isn't all this stuff taught in our schools, you know, to children. They should learn these concepts. You know, these are basic fundamental concepts for understanding human society and how it works. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. We have to run a course on this. This has got to be I think the we secular should, We should uh, open our own ceremony. school. What do you think? This, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to get... When I retire. Yeah. Any- land and hard bottom to be uh, the principal or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so in 1217, we had the Magna Carta. And at the same time, there was a second document called the Charter of the Forest. And it lasted longer on the British statute books than any other piece of legislation, only being repealed, uh, fully repealed 754 years later. That's a good run for a piece really? of legislation. Do you have the details of that one? I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. So have the you? Charter of the Forest. I've never heard of it. So... Yeah, Sounds like Robin Hood and all that sort of stuff. When you talk about education, so the Charter of the Forest basically said, you, the monarchy, stop taking the forest. In fact, give back some of this forest Mm. that you have taken and don't take any more and the forest is for the common person. Yes, because the the king and the lords had Mm. pretty much monopoly rights over it. Yeah, so it was a retaking of, of the forest common and that was important for people because if they were in hard times, they could go into the forest, get firewood, That's they right. could hunt for certain animals. It, yeah. was a, it was a place where you could 
subsist if you needed to. And um, get this, for generations, all churches in England were required to read it out in its entirety on four public occasions each year. (laughs) At Christmas, Easter, the Feast of St John in summer and the Feast of St Michael in autumn. Really? But you say you seem a little bit, uh, you think it's a bad idea? Or reading it out, yeah, at church, yeah. I think church is a bad idea. But, but what I don't, gr- I don't know anything about the. But, uh, but the, what it was, this. it was saying to the common people, we have these rights. The monarchy cannot take this land. You kids oh, need to know, and I we're going to yeah. read it out four times a year oh. so everybody knows. So they, yeah, and they would do this thing called the beatings, where they would actually go around to the edges of the commons each at periodic times just to assert their right to be there mm. and to say, what's that fence doing there? What's that bush doing? That's no. And walk over it and mm. say, this is the common area. Mm. Very important mm. ideas. Yeah. So um, good on them. So um, today its principles are ignored but are relevant. Uh, it's about a way of living as an individual in society, about communing as a collaborative and collective activity in the commons, rights of using, Um some of the stuff I've already said. Oh, of course, over time it was whittled away. So between the 17th and 20th centuries, Parliament passed over 5,000 enclosure acts, enclosing more than 6.8 million acres. Yep. And an 1873 report found that 710 aristocrats owned a quarter of the whole country. Lucky most, most of it being gifts from the various monarchs. Yep. And, of course, that, you know, enclosing the commons led to the flood of peasants into the cities and led to us being here yes, in Australia. That's right. You know, and they had to Where just... people were so desperate to survive, they were stealing loaves of bread and whatever and mm. being sent to Australia for seven years. Mm. Mm. So, um, so everyone, well, you might have heard of the tragedy of the commons. Yes. As an expression. I always thought it was the problem of the commons. Right. Often yeah, described as a tragedy of the, of the commons. Imagine a village with a common pasture that's available for everyone to graze their cows. Each villager is selfish and eventually the pasture is overgrazed. That's described as the tragedy of the commons, as described by a guy called Garrett Harden. So he was claiming that the commons was doomed because every user had an incentive to maximise what they could take out of it. Mm-hmm. And this was seized upon as a justification for privatisation. So shortly before he died, uh, Garrett Harden confessed he should have called his article The Tragedy of the Unmanaged Commons. And there's a lady, Eleanor Ostrom, who actually won a Nobel Prize for economics, who wrote about how to manage a commons. And basically the way to manage it was for the people who are involved in the commons to make rules and regulations themselves that they all agree to, sort of bottom-up rulemaking rather than top-down, which um, managed the assets so that people couldn't overgraze and um, uh, stop use of it if it threatened the ongoing sustainability of the common area. So, So a commons can succeed and not be a tragedy where rules are implemented and monitored um, it is possible. A tra- tragedy of the commons doesn't has- have to happen. So, so these are all ideas, again, sort of just tying in long run-up, I know, but when we're talking about um, 
personal freedom versus community rights. Mm-hmm. We've we've got to view our society that we have at the moment as being a commons. And if people want to use the commons, then they can't use it if it will mean the destruction of the commons. And the rest of us are entitled to regulate the commons and say, hang on a minute, we're all going to use this and we're all going to share it, but in such a way that it is sustainable for us all. And that's so when people talk about uh, regulations and interference of our liberty, that doesn't necessarily be a bad thing. If a community is saying, particularly in relation to a common asset, mm. no, what we're doing here is actually trying to maintain sustainability of the mm. commons. So, um, so yeah, so f- to me, sometimes this sort of freedom is really just another word for selfish in that I want to just do my bit and run my cattle on the commons and stuff the rest of you, I don't care. So we have to look at these things and, and decide um, what's really happening. And so in my discussion with... Um, Oh, I was talking to Woz about when we were talking about um, do shutdowns work, and I was basically trying different analogies. One of the analogies was that, as I see it, you could look at us like an army that's making its way across some territory. We're not in any particular hurry to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, we're under attack. And the coronavirus is kind of like mortar shells are landing on us and we're not really sure where they're coming from or, or how it's happening. But sods of earth are climbing up all around of us and different ones of us are getting hit. And, and what you do in that situation is you would bunker down a little bit and just see what's happening. What, what is going on here? Let's just stop and assess where we are particularly because we're not in a hurry. We don't have to rendezvous with anybody, another army across the other hill. And you don't have a business to run. So (laughs) bear bear all that in mind. Um, Working with my analogy here, and Woz said, well, okay, but some of us are feeling pretty good and we're feeling like we just want to keep going and charge over the hill and if you guys want to stay behind, then you can stay behind. But I said... The problem with that is, meaning they want to go out, drink at bars, live life normally, etc. And I said, well, the problem with that is the analogy breaks down because you're not going over the hill and away from us. In fact, you're making a noise, starting a campfire, and you're in amongst us still. And so the, the, uh, the enemy sees the campfire and fires a shell and gets the rest of us at the same time. It's not like you are actually separate to us. You're still in us. And with oh, the, analogy, the analogy then moved on and I said, you know, if you went and went over the hill and did your own thing, that would be okay, but uh, you're not going over the hill away from us. You're in amongst us. So um, that was sort of where that analogy was going. But I, I sort of sometimes with libertarians – I want to say to them, look, if you don't like what's happening, go and live on Libertarian Island. And have you ever heard of Libertarian Island? Yeah. <laughs> so Where is it? It doesn't exist. doesn't it's exist one yet. Of, one of those things that this guy has talked about, that's all. Yeah. So um, 
objectivist business magnate Andrew Ryan. Uh, it's a science fiction video game where this guy creates an underwater city where the world's elite members can flourish, free from the controls of government. It's a utopian village that Anne Rand and her hero, John Galt, would surely approve of. Um, so that's sort of this uh, dystopian sort of science fiction video game. Um, but there's actual or real-life movement to create such a thing. And it's being funded by PayPal billionaire Peter Thiel. Uh, so he's turned – he's teamed up with the grandson of – Milton Friedman <laughs> yeah, to well, try and develop the tree. <laughs> to try and develop what they call a seastead, a permanent and autonomous dwelling at sea. And Thiel has donated more than a million dollars to fund its creation. And it goes like this: they want to f- um, establish new sovereign nations built on oil rig type platforms anchored in international waters, free from regulations, laws, and moral suasion of any landlocked country. They'd be small city-states at first, although the aim is to have tens of millions of seasteading residents by 2050. That's their plan, Libertarian Island. Um, and there would be no welfare, there'd be looser building codes, no minimum wage, few restrictions on weapons. Um, and, and Friedman says one potential model is what he calls Appletopia, a corporation such as Apple starts a country as a business. The more desirable the country, the more valuable the real estate, Friedman says. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's their idea that they could just take their money, go and live on Libertarian Island and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is they have to interact with the rest of us at some point and get stuff and we would say to them, uh, no, if you're not going to contribute to this, you can't just take. Um, so, yeah, in future, if you hear me talk about libertarians and say, go and live in Libertarian Island, that's what it's referring to is these people who think that mm. they don't recognise that they have taken value from everything that's been created so far for them, that they couldn't do these things. It just annoys the heck out of me, this sort of aspect of libertarianism. So, um, so yeah, so that's some background for that. Um, you haven't been watching Alaskan bush people, have you? What's, what's Alaskan bush people? <laughs> it's what's a, that? It's a really funny program about people who live way out in the woods in Alaska and, yep. you know, all the things they do to survive. And, and they're self-sufficient sort of thing, aren't they? Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's no, very right. little law enforcement in, right. in those areas. So they basically have to take care of, you know, they have to right. deal with whatever. Right. Right. No, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I just want to get those ideas out there, mainly for future episodes where I can, I can talk about the commons and Libertarian Island and people will know what I'm talking about. So, um, oh, do I want to get out of the woods, go into the woods with any of this other... Well, so, okay, let's just apply that then to, say, vaccinations. Mm-hmm. So, Scott Morrison came out and said, looking good, sort of got a deal... Going to get this vaccine. Catholic Church said, "Don't like that one. It's coming from fetuses." Mm. He initially said, "We're going to make this as compulsory as possible." Then somebody Man- whispered, "Mandatory." Was yeah. The word he used. Somebody whispered it in his ear and said, "Ah, that's not going to fly with our constituency." And he mm. went, oh, "He pedaled that back." Yeah. He said, "As mandatory as possible." Yeah. Which is kind of a 
yeah. contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah. So that's where, on the one hand, you've got people who want their personal liberty, but on the other hand, others saying, you're going to ruin our commons if you do what you're proposing to do. And, yeah. Talk, man, your, your thoughts. Well, by... Enforcing vaccination of everybody. Uh, uh, by, we've got the community saying if you don't get a vaccine, then you're going to jeopardise oh, our commons yes. because if you get a vaccine, we'll all be able to get back to life and normally enjoy <clears throat> the civilization we've created. You're jeopardising that because mm-hmm. you'll be leading to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, so what do you think? Well, just, I'm would just you, trying to put it in the context of... Would you have teams, you know, fanning out through neighbourhoods, you know, enforcing vaccination of 100% of the population? Well, here's the tricky part. Doctors have said this vaccine has been so quickly fast-tracked that they wouldn't recommend it. Exactly. Mm. Mm. So that's where I don't think I would. Well, so, see, the better half reckons so, he's not going to get it done until the two months has yeah. passed. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you think, mm. it, it seems common sense to mm. me that you wouldn't want to be the first in the first mm. group, would you? Yeah. Because they don't always work and they yeah. sometimes have side effects. Mm. And, and to a certain extent you can say, well, if you don't take it, that's your problem, you'll die. I've taken it, so I'm okay. And so... Well, see, that so depends on the effectiveness of the vaccine. Indeed. If it's, it's only 50 or 60% um, effective, which is quite likely because it's the first generation of them, mm then unless you get a 90 95% take-up rate amongst the population, then you're not going to achieve anything. Yeah, but the level of um, what they call herd immunity, that's also a very um, not, not very clearly understood um, figure either. You know, even the scientists. True. They're not sure. They, it yeah. could be anywhere between 20% and 90%, but they don't really know. Yeah. So, say with... Um vaccines at the moment like measles or something we have this issue where some kids are too young to get the vaccine or something and there's a chance that they'll catch it before they are can be vaccinated and that's a problem why everyone should be vaccinated Mm -hmm. but with COVID-19 it seems like kids it's not that serious for them Mm. so if not every kid in the preschool is vaccinated it's not really that important the people who are really vulnerable, people in old age homes, will get the vaccine and they'll be okay. So, yeah, I think on that one you could say that... Uh, Let's give you, it to the old people first, it, you can't see what happens. It, you can't make it mandatory. <laughs> um, but uh, because it doesn't carry the same risks to young people like the measles does mm-hmm. um, in that sense. And really it's the people who refuse to take it who are just creating their own problem. They're not really transporting that to the rest of us as what happens in some other ways. It'll be very interesting to see exactly what the government does with it, won't mm. it? And who they, you know, recommend be the, the first people to use it. Well, everything yeah. I've heard is that the healthcare workers go first, then the people in the old folks' home, mm. then it gets oh, okay. the rest of the population. Mm. And we really still... I, I thought Morrison was a bit premature because... We still don't know when it's going to be ready. It could be next year. Exactly. And it could be later than mm. next year. We just don't know. Mm. Yeah. 
look, we probably don't enough. Can I, can I just mention mm. one more thing? Mm. I am a little bit tired of hearing government officials tell us we're all in this together. <laughs> right. Well, we're not all in this together. Aren't we all, aren't no. we all honeybees? Well, aren't you know, we, that, that, government officials see, and that, public to, servants. To the purpose of that previous spiel, it was just so I could summarise honeybee. Well, no, my point, get, is, my point is it's very, very easy we, we, for We're not our fruit flies, we're chief, honeybees. Our chief medical officer. Didn't I talk about the chief medical officer half leave million, her alone? Do, half a million dollars salary to tell people on, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars a year that their jobs are not essential and yet we're all in this together. So people can be, you know, can lose their jobs and their and their incomes and their employment. And we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. Some people are very much not in this together. Can 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 I suggest one thing you don't take into calculations is that you look at it and you say, oh, there's a shutdown which is causing damage to the economy. Say, for example, um, Scott lost his job in the mining sector, uh-huh. right? But correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but the government is saying you can run a mine. It's contracts that are cancelled overseas that are the problem. Mm. So, so a shutdown didn't cost Scott a job. It was a consequence of people not buying stuff that costs got a job. So you could also say all of the restaurants in Brisbane can open up, but they're not going to get anywhere like the business they used to get at the same time last year So because people will voluntarily not go. So you have to compare – when you say the shutdown is killing the economy mm. – what you have it's to damaging, really, what you have killing. to look at is say, the economy is damaged even if we're open because there's been fundamental changes to the economy that are beyond our control that will that will be there, shut down or no shutdown. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about these high-paid yeah. public servants yeah. who you know pontificate and tell us you know what we've got to do to you know to to pull together. But, and they they are still on their you know very lucrative salaries, and the common people that they're preaching to who have lost their jobs and they you know probably will lose their mortgages and be thrown out of their houses. I think if those people were sincere, seriously, if they were sincere about us all being in this together, those high paid public servants would voluntarily donate part of their salary to a, a pool fund. That could be distributed to the people who are the worst affected by it. Well, what about just billionaires taking a billion dollars off them and distributing it? Are you okay with that? No, I'm talking about the people who are... <laughs> trying to do something. Who are preaching to us and telling us what we have to do. So We're, can, can I just get servants. this, can I just get this straight? They're you, not affected. You, you want to take money off the chief medical officer, but you don't want to take it off Clive Palmer? Is that what you're telling me? I, I'm, I'm not ruling out taking money off. But you no. definitely want to – you're really no, clear I'm you want to take about, it off the chief I'm medical talking officer. About, you don't I'm talking about a voluntary act of sincerity on the part of these government officials who t- keep telling us we're all in this look, together. Look, They're not affected. She, she, you can't tell, they, me, the, no, you can't tell her, me Queensland's chief medical officer is not sincere. She, she's sincere in her, uh, in her intent. Yeah, and but her job, though, Paul, is no, but to advise she, on medical issues. She, it's up to the Premier 
to take that advice. Yeah. And the Premier should be doing the but, same. But, but, if but they as a are Chief sincere, Medical Officer, she just has to say, here's what I'm telling you to do to control this pandemic. Now, you decide whether you're prepared to pay the costs for the economy or not, but that's your decision, Premier. Like, it's not... They're not sincere. They're not sincere. You don't think she's sincere? She's sincere in her intent, but she's not in sin- sincere in her telling us, oh, we're all, we're all pulling together here. She's not pulling. Those of us who have lost our jobs, we're doing the pulling. She's not doing any pulling. Just because she's earning more money. Uh, she, she's, she earns ten times as much as just, I do. Just, yeah, just because. And of she's, not, she's not voluntarily giving up any of it to help people like Scott and I. Lloyd Berg, 12th Man fan. You're still a 12th Man fan. Like, come on. Come on. No, they're not. They're, some of us are more in this together than others, you know. Scott, help me out of here. I, well, I don't understand where you're coming from, Paul. I mean, it's... Um... No, I, I'm, I'm, where I'm coming from is these high-paid government officials and public yeah, servants yeah, yeah. who tell the other she, people she... on insecure incomes that, you know, they are, they are the ones it's, it's who the, have to make the it's sacrifice. the Premier who's made that decision. Yeah, it's and the, the Premier, Medi- well, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. They are not making any sacrifice. We are, those of us who are at the bottom of society on insecure incomes, we are the ones who are making the sacrifice, not those high-paid public officials. I'm sorry. But I, it really gets in my craw when I hear them say, oh, we're all in this together. Give me a fucking break. Well... I think I that they're going no to. No idea what you're coming from. I honestly believe they're going to. They're going to be paying a hell of a lot more income tax in the future, whether it's a Labor government or a Liberal government. I, I wish I could pay more income tax. Well, yeah, because you don't earn enough, so you're not going to pay. That's any right. I'm not tax. earning much at all at the moment. Yeah, I know it's that. due to what they've imposed on us. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough, but you know. It's, 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 Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. You go ahead. You want me to go? Or you... No, it's, I am just think to myself, well, these high-paid individuals are going to end up carrying a hell of a lot of the burden. They're going to end up paying back a large portion of the debt, whether it's a Labor government or a Liberal government. They're going to realise that we're going to have to increase the top marginal income tax rates. They won't be affected, Scott. But Paul, can I just ask? These people do, do will you, still retire on their nice uh, okay. is super it, accounts. Is it just public servants that you want to cut their pay or is it all wealthy no. private individuals? Basically, the, the elected public officials who keep preaching to us and telling us and, what we have to do. So is it because they're... A bit preachy about it, and they're all we're all in this together that yeah. you don't like. If preachy they, and patronising. If, if they said something like, "Well, here's how a pandemic works. If you want to bring the numbers down to zero, here's what you got to do. Fuck you, I don't care whether you do it or not." And they weren't preachy about it. Would you be okay with their high salary if they weren't preachy? If they were like, if they didn't preach and didn't say we're all in this together, I just they, think it's hypocritical for super, them to. To tell us if that they, we're, yeah, we're, it, we're all suffering together. But if they weren't... And they're not. If they weren't sugarcoating it and if they weren't hypocritical and they said, ha, ha, I'm making 600 you guys are stuffed, but here's my recommendation, would you at that point want them to have their salary cut? Is it because you just don't like this, what you see as, as, their, as their warm fuzziness that you feel is disingenuous? I, th- I think they're hypocrites. So if they were actually assholes, you wouldn't want to cut their money? It's not a, 
I don't, I don't, don't know where you're coming from where if they were assholes. I'm not because accusing them. Because it seems them. like the reason you want their money cut is because they're saying we're all in this together and yeah. you're saying because they're earning more money, no, they're not, what, we're not what all I'm in this saying together. Is we're not all in this together. We're not all bearing the, 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 the load or the burden together. Prior to this pandemic, if there was no pandemic, let's wind the calendar back 12 months. Yeah. And I said to you, oh, the chief medical officer on 500000 a year. Would you, would, would you at that point have said, that's outrageous, I want it cut? Not necessarily. So it's because she's doing a job she want it cut? No, it's because she's telling us that we all, you know, we all have to make sacrifices, but she's not making a sacrifice and nor are the rest of the, the government making a sacrifice. Uh, I think that she probably was making a sacrifice because she can't go out to her clubs and that sort of stuff, which oh, she wow. was used to. Yeah, exactly. She's making the same. Yeah, exactly. It's, she's, she, making, she's under the she, same that's isolation. That's a really, really minor inconvenience. Yeah, okay. Then you, you, what, A lot things? of people are, you know, on the verge of retirement or have retired and are definitely paying the price for I, this I don't, shutdown. I don't get why. I don't. I don't, I don't understand get why your you, objection to shutdown. I, I, well, no, I just don't understand why you're not against all rich people. I'm not taking against it. rich people. That's my point. Is if somebody in private enterprises, a financial planner, is earning six hundred thousand, mm-hmm. you're quite happy for them to earn the six hundred thousand. I'm not against being pe- people being rich or people yeah, earning I more know, than you're, me. So you're not wanting to. I'm, you're not wanting I'm to against, give them a haircut. I'm but just the woman who's working really hard. Public officials who talk down to us and patronise us. Okay, here's and my tell point. us you guys have to make a sacrifice, and they don't. But if she didn't talk down, if she didn't speak in that way, would you still want her to take a haircut on the salary? No, not necessarily. So it's just the way she's talking to you. She's patronising. You don't like it. I don't like being patronised and I don't like being told that I have to take a cut in my, in my income and my lifestyle, but she doesn't. And, and yet we're all in this together. That's my objection. You don't like the patronising bit of it? Uh, I absolutely hate it. Oh, okay. <laughs> did, you, did you see the, the, the... I'm glad I did the did whole honeybee thing. Did you see the note that she wrote? It was published on the front page of the Courier Mail or somewhere in the yeah. Courier Mail. Yeah. It was extremely patronising. That's why I said... One at line very... at a time, like you would write for a primary school child. Yeah. You know, to make sure the, the very, you know, least literate people can, you know, half read it. It was well, well, patronising. Well, you've stated extreme. you want, you know, people to voluntarily undertake... Um, you know, restrictions, we don't need so many regulations. So she's got to spell it out to the lowest common denominator in a language they understand. So if you want people to voluntarily do the right thing, you've got to spell it, it out in it a manner a, that... It um, was a thank you letter. Right. <laughs> I think she's done a great job. She's going to get every gong going, Order of Australia and whatnot, that's on offer. And personally, I think she's doing a great job. Okay. I think you've drunk too much of the Literary spectator Miller, and... Yeah. Um, and, uh, we'll get and to the spiked, spectator another and, time, shall and we? And spike juice. Yeah, oh, let's get to break. that next time. But, but honestly, and the Guardian juice? You've been drinking plenty of Guardian juice this week? Well, may, maybe I have, well, but they haven't like actually it. mentioned. But, but I reckon that's where you're getting the, the anger. No, because, I'm not. I'm because, not getting it from the Guardian or the spectator <laughs> or spiked. I'm getting it from my sense of, of fair play and I hate being patronised by public officials. Because those publications, spiked in particular runs a real propaganda campaign oh, on, that, on that aspect. Yeah. No, it is very much a propaganda And The Guardian yeah. isn't a propaganda piece? Uh, well, 
you can accuse me of falling into a Guardian um, bubble with the stuff I'm saying here. Sounds by, like it. By all means. But, <laughs> and I can say to you, you know what, that sort of um, vitriol and of the chief medical officer is straight out of Sky News After Dark, straight out of Murdoch, straight out of um, The Spectator. Look, and I'm I, entitled I to my own opinion yeah, without yeah. having it attributed to some publication, okay? You are. I'm not a clone of Spiked or The Spectator. I'm an individual with my own thoughts and my own thought, you know. I, I, I don't take my opinions from any publication. Yeah, well, I'm working on a theory that I reckon they've had an influence on you. Uh, well, lots of things influence me. Yeah. And lots of things influence you and yeah. Scott and everybody. Because I reckon... But you can't pin that on me just because I don't, you know, I read publications that you don't approve of. Because I, you know, what do I know? I'm in my own little bubble. But I reckon those, well, we all are to those ideas that you've just described oh, would be... Break. A really small sector of and the that's community. a really if you don't mind me saying that's a really patronising thing to say to me. <laughs> I don't sit here and accuse you of you know making your 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 thoughts and your ideas based on what you read. No, I'm I'm. You can tell me I'm influenced by the Guardian or or well, that's Karl for, Marx. That's like, for you to decide. You can tell me I'm not offended. No, I don't think so, you are either. We're so, good enough friends that we can say things like this to yeah. each other. But at the same time, I do think that's a little patronising to say that to me, that I'm saying it because of something I read in The Spectator. Well, well I, I see you posting, reposting that stuff, and I go, that's really, that's really, in my mind, that's quite extremist. Yeah, and that, I think, that puzzled me because you, you, get, you left and, me a comment saying... And, and I did post something from mm. The Spectator, I think it was, and it was with regard to Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And I was really surprised because I thought you would basically broadly agree with the, the statements in that piece. No. Wow, well, no. that, that, that's That was surprising. a terrible piece. And you see, I didn't know whether you were posting, because you previously with Facebook. I hadn't posted that one before. I, know, but I previous, don't know why you said reposted, because that was the first time I posted it. No, you copied and pasted. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, which I do pasted, with all yeah. my posts. But yeah. previously on Facebook, you have sometimes posted things, not because you agree with them, but because you put them up for comment and discussion. That and, was a different yeah, page. And I, was, I wasn't sure whether you were putting this up for comment and discussion or just or no. when you actually genuinely No, on my that. own page I put things okay. up because I think they contain <laughs> okay. some kernel of truth or something interesting. Yeah, well, here's what I – from my position, I just thought – like the, the idea that you just had with uh, the Chief Medical Officer, because mm -hmm. of her patronising view, needs mm -hmm. to pay less money, I'm not putting up with that being talked down to. Mm -hmm. To me, that – that, to my ear, is quite an extremist view that I, I wouldn't think many people would hold. Well, maybe they wouldn't, but it's and, my and, opinion. And I see that sort of view mm -hmm. coming from, because I read very widely, mm -hmm. I see that coming from a particular brand of news source. Therefore, so, I don't so. have my own mind and it must be the, the spectator has got into my brain. Well, Give me a break. I'm, Come I'm, on, I'm, Trevor. No, you know me better than that. Well, well I'm, I'm a little I'm, bit smarter than that. Well, uh, 
That's, I'm just saying that's what it looks like. Come on. So you can say no, it's not, but it just strikes me as a really. I sent you a, 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 actually, I sent you a PDF of the entire article because you, you said you couldn't access the entire article. You sent me a couple of articles, and that particular one, I could still only get one page. There was like an really? error on the second page. Oh, I'm sorry. Look, we'll talk about it next week. Yes. Let's go through Shall that we? article and decide whether it's an article of yeah. merit and whether the Black Lives Matter is, like the Nazi Party, a socialist movement. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, let's, it didn't really say it was exactly let, let, like the Nazi Party. It said there were some similarities. Black Lives Matter, what Black Lives Matter shares with the Nazis, an economic philosophy that is essentially socialist. Yep. Not true? The Nazi Party was not socialist. Well, they, they were in a sense. No, they weren't. Well, they were nowhere near socialist. This is okay. part of nowhere near socialist. And then it does a complete... Straw manning, like you mentioned before about the guy who was shot in the back getting into his car. Yeah. It was quite distressful. It was shocking. Like the people who protest at Black Lives Matter think of that in their head. They think of the other guy, George Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. That's what they've got in their head when mm-hmm. they're protesting. Yeah. But this asshole, Declan Mansfield, asshole. paints a picture of the Black Lives Matter, he caricatures the most left-wing crazy people and says that's Black Lives Matter without acknowledging that, no, lots of people in Black Lives Matter are protesting the sort of thing that you just described as really... I think he does a a real disservice to... I think he was talking about the actual... Core group rather than random protesters on the street. He strawmans and caricatures the movement as nutty left wingers when a lot of the people in the movement are very genuine people concerned about a very genuine problem. Mm -hmm. And I think he was referring to the core group rather than all the people who joined the marches against racism. It's a hysterical argument. Okay. So maybe we can we, talk about it Maybe next we week. should talk about it another yeah. time. But. And we can talk about were the Nazis socialist? Because uh, yeah, but, well, but, we know that they weren't exactly, but they I mean, Hitler did re-employ the German population after the, you know, Weimar Republic era. We'll, we'll talk about whether the Nazis were socialist. Then. I mean, he, there were some socialist elements in the program. Right. There was but, no, there's nothing socialist oh, about, right. about the Nazi that. party. Um, and I've got an article here by Matthew Fitzpatrick, Associate Professor of International History at Flinders University, mm-hmm. and Dirk Moses, Professor of Modern History at the University of Sydney and the author of German Intellectuals and the Nazi Past, yeah, yeah. who basically give all sorts of reasons all why right. they were I had actually a, the opposite. I had a, a professor of philosophy yeah. tick that yeah. article. The, spot, the, the spectator article yes. ticked it. That's correct. Ticked it, ticked it as agreeing with me posting it. So there you go. Okay, next week. Tune in for that one, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still want me involved next week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll need to. We need you as a referee or something. I need you here because otherwise I think I'm going crazy. All right. Until next week, bye for now. Bye, everyone. Uh, Thank you very much, Matthew Chalk. I will be riding in the morning. And a quick shout-out to my one and only fangirl who lives in Wales, Sharon, who saw me for the first time in months the other uh, couple of weeks ago. 
And she said that I looked hot with my beard. So thank you very much, Sharon. Good on you, Sharon. Yep. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Bye now. Do you want to say bye? I already did, but bye again. Bye. Ah, there we go. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think is a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.